Father, when we come into your house and we sing those words of exaltation and glorification to you, and then we sing those words that here's our life as a sacrifice. It's one thing to exalt you, it's one thing to glorify you, and then to have to surrender, Lord, our lives is sometimes things to cause us to take pause. And yet when we look at it, we realize that, Lord, you have purchased us, you've redeemed us, our life is yours, and and truly, according to your scripture, our life is hidden with Christ. And that, that's where it is. Our life is, is in your son and in your son is in us. And, and what an incredible thing, Lord, that you, as you would save us, as you would redeem us, would give to us the Holy Spirit. You would allow the Holy Spirit to come within us and be a part of us, to grow and to mature us. And so, Father, tonight we're simply asking that you would meet and minister, that you would draw our hearts to an understanding of of, in a sense, worship, how we look at it, how we value it, how others look at it, how others value it. And so tonight, Father, just simply give us ears to hear what your Spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, saints, if you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 12. John chapter 12. What we have done is we've gone through the portion where... In the last few weeks, we were looking at John 11, where Jesus comes and he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. He'd been in the tomb for four days. And after he raised Lazarus from the dead, eventually then the chief priest, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they would just gather to a council. And their counsel would be this, we need to put this man to death. Because all men will come to him, all men are going to him, and we can't have that. We'll lose our position, we'll lose our nation, we'll lose everything if they want to make him king. And so as they were plotting to destroy him, we understood that where in verse 53 of John 11 said, then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. In verse 54, therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there he remained with his disciples. At this point, he's now outside of Jerusalem. He's not getting into that area where the people who are seeking to kill him are. And then we come to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, everything changes. Now, just so you understand, it opens up in verse 1 of chapter 12, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. This is going to be the last Passover um, that Jesus will be alive for. He is going to be crucified on this Passover. And so understand that where the Gospel of John has 21 chapters in it, all the way to verse... Um, you know, 57 of chapter 11, he's dealing with all that time previous to this last week. And now from chapter 12 to chapter 19, it's all dealing with just a few days. There's a huge portion of the scriptures that just deal with this last week leading up to Jesus's crucifixion. And this is one of the first events that begins to take place that the scriptures open up for us. So what I'd like to do is this, just read through this passage. If you're looking for a title for this message, you can call it Worship or Waste, the Extremes. It says here in John chapter 12, verse 1, Then the six days before the Passover, Jesus had come to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. 
But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who betrayed him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always, you do not have always. Verse 9, now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. But they came, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So within this passage that we begin to see that there is this worship of Mary, there in verse 3, Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. This worship of Mary. And yet instantly we begin to see here that Judas Iscariot, verse 4 and 5, said, But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It would have been almost a year's wages. We could have given it to the poor. And, of course, it says this, he said not that he cared for the poor. But he held the money box. He used to take what was in it. And so it said it should have been given to the poor. And poor Judas, he could have really used some extra money, you know. And as we look to this, I want to, before we dive into this, there's questions that come about when you look at the scriptures. And there's questions that have um, some people are, are turned and twisted trying to understand the balance of the Gospels, the balance of Scriptures, and how this event is declared in the midst of them. If you are familiar with the Gospels, all four Gospels talk of a time where there was a woman who had come to anoint Jesus. And John here is the last of the four Gospels, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's the one who depicts that in this event, this one here is six days before the Passover. And so we understand that here Jesus has, you know, um, traveled. They're there in this house, and then in that house you have something interesting. And I want to make a note here in verse 2. It, it says this, there they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now, the reason I want to put that out is this. If this is Lazarus's house, why would they make it a note that Lazarus sat at the table with him? Do you understand? So something here says there's something that's a little bit different the intonation to this is that, that Martha, she's there serving. Mary is there worshiping. Lazarus is there. He's one of those who sit at the table with him. Now, it could be that they're just amazed he was a dead guy, and now he's a live guy, and he's sitting at the table. But I think there's more to it than that. Now, what I want to do is this. I want to just jump a little bit so that you have at least a little clarity so that when you take in the notes or you start reading the Gospels that you can have a flow and understanding of the events that are happening. First and foremost, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, it makes a statement beginning in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. At this point, we understand that Jesus, according to verse 11 of Luke 7, it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. We understand that that is a city in Galilee. So Jesus is here in Galilee. 
in chapter 7 of Luke. He's not in Bethany. So that tells you already the location itself is different. As Jesus is here earlier on in the ministry, he makes this statement, verse 36, Then one of the Pharisees asked to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house. He sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, for she knew that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Then the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, And he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon. Now we understand the the name of this Pharisee. Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. And he said there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. To one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay him, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose, like he really has to think about it, the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now understand, he said, if he really knew what this woman was, and Jesus said, do you actually see her? You're seeing it outside. Do you really see her? And so when he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loved little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Absolutely amazing. So understand that what we see here is there's a lot of similarity between the woman here of Luke chapter 7 and Mary there in John's gospel, John 12. The issue being is one, is that here he's in the house of a Pharisee, one that isn't overly pleased with him. He invites him in, but at the same time he doesn't honor him. He doesn't wash his feet. He doesn't greet him. He doesn't anoint him. None of that happens. But the sinner, a woman who's a sinner, realizes that Jesus is in the house of that Pharisee, And she comes in regardless of how people are going to judge her. She comes in and worships the Lord. But understand, this in Luke chapter 7 happens early in his ministry while he's up in Galilee. John happens just before the Passover, six days. So we understand there's something that says these two events are separate. They're distinct. They are not the same event. And so as we look to that, I just think it's important to to recognize that there are are many times that we see in Scripture that there are going to be two events that are, in a sense, a little similar to each other. If you're familiar that Jesus fed the multitudes, he fed the 5,000, he fed the 4,000. He did the same thing twice. When Jesus cleansed the temple, he did it early in his ministry. He did it at the end of his ministry. Twice he comes in to do that. So for an event to happen more than once is not a thing that's uncommon in Scripture. Remember when Joseph was talking to the Pharaoh after he had the dreams. He says, listen, you had two dreams, but they both say the same thing. You had the, 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 the wheat, the good wheat and the thin wheat, and you had the good cows and the thin cows. And, and so the, 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 the good was first, and then the sickly came and you know, consumed the good. He said that both dreams are the same. They're two things, two events, but they're the same thing. And over and over you see in the scripture that Jesus would make that statement. We don't see it in the New King James. The New King James, he says, most assuredly. I love the Old King James. He says, verily, verily. And in the Greek, it means amen and amen. He says it twice. 
And so to have two events being similar, I can see that in Scripture. I don't have a problem with that, simply because one points out Galilee, the other points out Bethany. Something, you know, and you see enough differences in between them. Now the next two passages I want to share with you. The first is found in Matthew chapter 26. And in Matthew chapter 26, what I want to do is this. I want to begin to to share with you starting in verse 6. But prior to that, I want to start reading from the beginning of the chapter. So in Matthew 26 says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany, verse 6, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my head, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you that wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as memorial to her. So, as we see, there's a couple things that are unique within this passage. One, you do have a woman there at the seat. Now, Matthew doesn't name her. John, of course, names her as Mary. Matthew says that she anoints his head, and where John says she anoints the feet. In both passages, the disciples talk about a waste. And so remember where Judah said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? There was a waste. What's going on here? And so in Matthew 26, the disciples saw it. They were indignant, saying, why this waste? The other thing that we see is Jesus says, hey, let her alone. She's done a good work, and she's done it for my burial. He says that in Matthew 26, verse 12. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And so we see the same thing where Jesus in John 12, verse 7, Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. So you see a lot of similarities there. And within this, there's just a very few couple of things that throw people off. One is that John talks about the feet. Matthew talks about the head. Well, that's easy enough. Matthew's just focused on the head. John's focused on the feet. She has this, this whole you know, thing of spikenard oil. She doesn't have to just use it on the feet. None of them said just the head. One says put on his head. The other said put on his feet. So we understand the anointing that went on. So I don't have a problem with, with one saying the head and one saying the feet. There's a lot of times where because they're different people focused on different things, you're going to... One person is going to see one thing, one person is going to see another. And there may be another one who said, well, she anointed the head and the feet. So they would see, you know, different things. The one thing that trips them up is verse 2 of Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, verse 2, it says, you know that after two days is the Passover. Now what happens is this. They're saying that in Matthew 26, the event happens two days before the Passover In John's gospel, as we read there in verse 1, then six days before the Passover. So what is it? Is it two days? Is it six days? Or is it two events? Now that's a good question. Now what we see is this. 
understand that when Matthew talks about what was happening, he said it was two days before the, the Passover. Jesus is now talking. The high priests are now plotting. What most scholars understand at this point is that when you're reading the first five verses and then you go to verse six, that Matthew is not following chronologically. So he says this event here from verses one through five did happen two days before the Passover. That discussion was there. And then he, in a sense, reminisces to something that happened a few days earlier. And so when you see in verses 6 on, it doesn't say that that event followed directly after. It doesn't say it in the Greek. It doesn't say it in the English. It just says, oh, and there was this event. There was an event. And that's what it says in verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. So it doesn't necessarily flow that verse 6 is directly after verses 1 through 5. It's where he says 1 through 5 happened two days before the Passover, and then his brain wakes up, oh yeah, and by the way, remember when he was in Bethany and this woman came, and he doesn't name her, so I don't have an issue with Matthew saying that there was an event happening two days before, and then verse 6 is just a recollection of something that happened afterwards. So When I look at Matthew in John, I see the similarities and I can understand that when he's reminiscing that it's not necessarily in chronological order. I don't have a problem with Matthew and John being the same event, just recording it differently. But I do have an issue with Luke being the same event because one is in Galilee, one is in Bethany. The other passage I want you to be aware of is found in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. In Mark 14, same kind of a thing. I want to start reading in verse 1, then through 3 through 9. But it begins this. Matthew 14, verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover. Again, same thing as Matthew's gospel. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So we see once again, he's talking about the same thing that Matthew was talking about. And then once again, we see that he's speaking not in chronological order, but then, and being in Bethany, he's just remembering what was happening a few days earlier, being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. He sat at the table, a woman as he sat at the table, a woman having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, then she broke the flask, poured it on his head, and there were some who were indignant among themselves, saying, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for the poor, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. I want you to see that that flows really well, that Judas, after the Bethany thing, can go to the high priest. If he comes two days before the Passover, all of a sudden he doesn't know where Jesus is going to be. Because he sends John and and he says, you guys go find this man carrying the water. Find out where the the master's house is. Go and say, hey, is is the room ready? We need to make the room ready for the master. And so understand that when it comes to the Four Gospels, each declaring a situation where a woman comes and anoints Jesus. 
that I do personally have no issue, and I do believe that both Matthew and Mark and John are speaking of the same event. They have different ways of looking at it, but I do believe it is the same event. There's too many things that are tied in. One, he says, it's done for my burial. Two, they were saying, what a waste. And so, you know, to do this once and then right again directly after doesn't make a lot of sense to me that the disciples would say the same thing to another woman or why another woman would be there in Bethany. And so what this does to me is it gives me a little bit of an idea if they're in the house of Simon the leper, and I'll keep in mind, Simon cannot currently be a leper, or he would be unclean. So if he's not currently a leper, what is he? He's a former leper. And if he's a former leper, where in the scriptures do you ever see the healing of leprosy? Well, Jesus. So the most scholars agree, and I would agree with them, that this is the house of Simon the leper, one who would you probably should say Simon, who used to be the leper. He's not a leper, you know, currently. And so they're in his house. And if they are in his house, it, it, there's not an issue with Martha serving there in the house. And it makes sense why then in John chapter 12, verse 2, it says, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. It would, that would be a no-brainer if it was in his own house, but if it was in the house of Simon the leper, and all of a sudden he's inviting the friends, he's invited Lazarus, he's invited Mary and Martha, and so they're all together now in the house. That makes sense to me. So what I want to do is, is just to let you know that it just, when I look to this, it makes sense. It makes sense to me how the Gospels align and how they um, work through. The other thing that makes sense to me is this. If you're familiar with that beautiful passage of Psalm 23, this is one of the Psalms of David, but he makes this statement in verse 5. I just want to read it to you. Psalm 23 verse 5 declares this. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let's just call it Judas. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, and then he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Do you understand? It's fulfilled in these passages between Matthew, Mark, and John. And so as I look to this, it's just one of those things where I just wanted to give you this understanding of where the Gospels are and why the people question it. They, they say, how could it be the same event if, if where earlier in Matthew and earlier in Mark, it says it was two days before the Passover. I don't have an issue someone just speaking, you know, where we're saying here Lowell is, is standing there talking on, what, what day is it today, the 15th or 16th? The 16th of November, and then I'm re re referencing something that happened last Sunday as we had that amazing potluck. So, you know, I could be here today talking about a potluck that happened, you know, there on Sunday, and it doesn't mean the potluck happens after I'm discussing and standing talking about today. Now, now that that's out of the way, now that you're at least clear to what the passage is and how it relates to the rest of the Gospels, let's take a look at this study. There's a couple of things that I want you to see within this as it begins this, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, and they made him a supper. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And Mary took this pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. A couple of things that I want you to recognize of, of where Jesus is honored. In this passage, it's a unique thing for you and me to understand that Jesus was honored in their home. Here's the question for you. 
Is Jesus honored in your home? It's just a really good question. And I love the fact that here Jesus was welcomed, he was served, he was worshiped. He was worshiped. And, and absolutely amazing that when we, when we take a look at this, I just think that it's one of those things where his presence was treated with honor. Do you understand the very presence, his presence in that house was elevated to a point of, of people worshiping him in more than one way. They, they worshiped him with their, their, their helps, as Martha did. They worshiped him with their, 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 um, their heart, as, as Mary pours out her heart and pours out this offering upon Jesus. So you see what's happening, but I want you to, to understand that he was treated with honor. Here's a question. Is Jesus in your house? And if he is, do you treat his presence in your house with honor, with reverence, with respect. And maybe you don't recognize he's in your house, but understand, he's there. Invite him in. Honor him in your home. Now, now keep in mind that we recognize that there's different ways to honor him. One, you can honor him as Mary is doing with this incredible display of her heart, which is, is, is an amazing thing. But I want you to understand that, that it says first before Mary's worship, it says this in verse 2, there they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. It talks about here the service that is being done. Martha serves. And understand that that is an aspect of worship. I do want to take you to one other place where, where Mary was there at the feet. Martha was there serving, and I want you to see that there's a difference, a growth in the ministry of Martha. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, I'm going to read down to verse 42. It said, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, at this point, she, he's now in the house of Martha. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, understand, at the very beginning, as, as Martha and Mary are having this relationship with Jesus Christ, Martha is serving and serving and serving, and Mary is sitting there listening to Jesus. She's at his feet. It's like wherever you see Jesus and Mary, Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Here in the Gospel of Luke, Martha's serving, Jesus is at his feet. Remember there in John chapter 11, when Mary went out to meet Jesus, she just fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here she's at his feet in John 12, anointing them and wiping them with her hair. But it says this, Luke 10, 39, and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet, heard his word, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. And then he says this, which will not be taken away from her. She's choosing to come and sit at my feet. It's a place of, of, of intimacy. It's a place where we're, this is where her worship is. But I want you to understand that where Mary is sitting at the feet, where Mary is sitting there with Jesus, not at the table, but there at his feet. When you come now to John's gospel, you see what? Lazarus is there at the table. 
Lazarus is there listening to the Lord. Lazarus is there. And, and I find it an amazing conversation. I wish I had been, you know, had someone who recorded the conversation between Simon, who used to be a leper, and Lazarus, who used to be a dead man. You know, here's, you, I could just see, I could just see, you know, they're, they're talking and they go, you know, Simon, Simon, you used to be this leper. Simon the leper. Yeah, I'm, I'm Simon who used to be the leper. You don't understand what Jesus did. Jesus brought me health. Jesus brought me wholeness. And everyone was like, wow, what an amazing thing. Jesus cured leprosy. And Lazarus is just kind of sitting back like, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing. Wow, lucky you. I was dead. <laughs> I was dead for four days. And Jesus spoke to me and gave me life. I don't know who has the better story. You know, it all depends on how you tell it, but what an incredible testimonies they are. And this is why I'm so looking forward to next Wednesday as the saints are able to come and tell the testimonies. This is what Jesus has done for me. And I'll tell you what, I don't think that Simon the leper is thinking, wow, my story is not worth telling because Lazarus is here who is dead. No, every story is worth telling. My story is worth telling. Your story is worth telling. The, what Jesus has done in your life, regardless of how huge it may be on the scale, when it's you who had leprosy and was healed, it's a great thing thing to declare when it's you who were dead and he brought to life it's a great thing to declare and so we see here where Martha at one point complained that she's serving now we see it says very simply Martha served do you understand her growth Martha just served and now we come to Lazarus and Lazarus is honoring Jesus just being in his present fellowshipping with Jesus hanging out with Jesus. And understand, you don't have to do something to to worship. You don't have to do something to fellowship because in the act of service, the Greek actually calls her a deaconess. Same thing we call in the church, the deacons, someone who serves, just someone who serves. And I find it so amazing that when we're looking at this passage, we see that they made him a supper. They're honoring him in the home. There, she's, you know, Martha's honoring him with the helps as she's serving. And then we see this amazing thing that Mary honors him with her heart in the most amazing way. Mary takes this pound of very costly oil of spikenard. Scholars are, are uncertain about the amount Truly how it translates. There are some people who say it's a pint. There are some people who say it could be as much as a liter. But understand that when it comes to perfume, you don't need a lot. I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, you know, women, when they, when they take a perfume, they just put a little bit right there on their wrist. They rub it together and, you know, a little behind the ears and they're good to go. You know, and maybe you, you, you've been around someone who doesn't know how to a little is good, but a lot is too much. Your eyes start watering, and it's just overwhelming you. And it's like, you know, why do you have on? So well, she literally, whether it's a pint or a liter, you know, the, the, the weight of it with the alabaster is about a pound. And so what they would do is they would take this canister of, of spikener, a very costly fragrant oil, and they would wrap it in alabaster. They would, they would enclose it so that it would be secure, and she breaks it. She breaks it. Some people say it was her dowry. We understand that according to what Judah says, it was worth a year's wage. So I don't know what, what a wage is for you for a year, but think about that. Are you willing to take one years wage and in one moment just poured out upon the Lord Jesus say this is you this is to honor you this is to worship you this is what she does and so I I love the fact that that here what it shows is this when you look at Mary you look at Martha and you look at Lazarus 
And of course, you know, we're not going to reference Simon the leper, but when you look at these three, I want you to understand that everyone has something they can contribute. Everyone. It's all different. And so there's not one that's any better than any other. There's going to be a point where Jesus is going to, when they're complaining about the cost of her worship, Jesus is going to come and protect her, watch over her. But I just want you to see here that everyone has something they can contribute. Martha, her service. Lazarus, being there at the table, just fellowshipping with him. Just just listening to him, sharing with him. And then we see here the amazing thing of Mary. She takes this pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, it would be socially unacceptable for a woman who is there in of, of a Jew to have her hair down and to let her hair be seen publicly. That would not be a normal thing. And here she lets her hair down. She wipes his feet with her hair and the whole house, and I love this, the house is filled with the fragrance of oil. You could put it this way. The house is filled with the fragrance of her worship. And it's an amazing thing that her worship goes. And and so we, we see here that one, honor Jesus in your house. It's a great word for all of us. Honor Jesus with your helps. As you serve, do it unto the Lord. Don't complain because I'm doing this and no one else is helping me. Just I'm doing this unto the Lord. What you do, do unto the Lord. Not not so you can be seen by men, just that your Father in in heaven, that he leads you and directs you. You're just following in obedience to him. You're doing it to worship him. And sometimes it's just being the presence of the Lord. Sometimes it's just being the presence. But other times you are just completely poured out. There have been times, and it doesn't happen always, but there are times where in, in my worship that I'm, I'm singing, I'm worshiping, and the Spirit touches me and allows me just to pour out. Just to pour out. And, and it, it's, my, my heart is being poured out. My spirit is being poured out. And, and it's almost like love is being poured out. I just want to honor my God in such an amazing way. And when you're at that point, there is no, I'm not worried about, well, what if somebody sees me? What if, what if somebody looks at me? What if somebody thinks, oh, you're, you're one of those weird ones in your worship? I, I, none of that means anything. I'm not worried about what people are going to say or what they're going to do because it, it's, it's, it's unto Jesus and only unto Jesus. But here she's completely, completely worshiping. She takes this pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anoints his feet. The house is filled with the fragrance of the oil. And then we recognize one other thing. One, honor him with your home, honor him with your helping, honor him with your heart. But the other thing is this. I I want you to scroll down to verse 7 and 8. Because this is an important thing to note when it comes to honoring Jesus. One thing that we see is this. In verse 7 8, Jesus says, Let her alone. She has kept this for my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. I think one thing is, is important to honor Jesus while you have the opportunity. Honor him while you have the opportunity. If you're recognizing Jesus, you're here in my house. Honor him while you have the opportunity. Honor him while he's there. If, he, if, he's, if he's meeting with you, if, he's, if you're sensing him in your presence, honor him there. And it's so important because he says, listen, sometimes the opportunities to honor me, you're going to have a chance and it's going to be gone. And maybe you've recognized that as a Christian where the Lord has been speaking to you. You say, oh, Lord, I, I can't do that. I can't do that now. And then, all of a sudden you don't hear from him. Lord, where are you? What are you doing? Why don't I hear you know, Honor him while you have the opportunity. Take every opportunity you can to honor Jesus in your work, in your life, in your service, in your home. As you do this, I think it's just one of those things where 
I love how John portrays this, these truths on how and when to honor Jesus. Honor him, uh, you know, you can either honor him by, by service, and, and that's a, a very real and right service. Honor him by just sitting at his feet and listening to him, coming alongside and just being with him like Lazarus. That's worship. Well, there's other times he will move you. He will move you to say, you know what, I, I'm going to just, I'm going to surrender everything. I'm going to worship everything. I'm going to give myself completely over to you. Well, as we look to this, the ways of honoring him, I want to back up just a moment here to verse 3 and see, and I want us to look at what I would call the cost. The cost. Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Who all appreciates what Mary has done in that house? I'll tell you what, the whole house is filled with anyone who's, who's enjoying that spikenard, the smell, the, 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 the fragrance of her worship. Anyone that's there who's connected to Jesus, I want to see you honored. When Mary is honoring him, wow, this is good. Do you understand that those who are in the light, when they say, yeah, I can appreciate what Mary has done. I'm, I'm a part, I'm, I'm experiencing what Mary has done. When the worship is, is glorifying God and it's exalting God, it's completely given over to God that you're able to come in and, and just, just be a part of that worship. It's amazing that there are just moments in worship where I've sensed the entire body being connected to the, the, the songs that are being sung up here. And, and they're connected and their heart is knit and the spirit's being poured out. And there's a moving. And all of us are benefiting from the surrender and the prayer and the worship of the leadership coming and saying, I'm going to worship Jesus. And you see them looking to him and you see them honoring you. And I want to see you too. And, and, and the body's caught up where we're able to participate in that worship and being a part of that worship. We're able to come and say, yes, this is good. And I'm a part of what is going on. And there's many in the room who were. They were, they were amazed and they were able to appreciate this worship of Mary. And so I'm going to ask the next question. How much... How much of what Mary poured out upon Jesus was a waste? It was a year's wages that she poured upon his feet, upon his head. It was a year's wages. It was, they say, some say it was her dowry. It was her retirement. It was a year's wages. She just poured it upon Jesus. How much of that was a waste? And I would actually say, nothing, nothing. 300 denarii, a whole year's wage. And, and I don't believe any of it was wasted. The amazing thing is Judas will come and say, well, why this waste? What's going on here? Why, why waste this? It should have been given to the poor. Poor me. And, and we recognize that what Judas is going to do, according to Mark's gospel, right after this event, remember what Judas did? He goes and talks to the high priest. He talks to the high priest and says, listen here, I will betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You understand that in the scripture, 30 pieces of silver is approximately four months worth of wages. Judas said, man, I just, I, got, I just lost a whole year's worth of income here that I could have tapped into any time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get what I can. So he goes and he doesn't give to Jesus. He literally takes and, and says, from you, from me betraying you, I'm going to gain four months of wages where Mary just pours it out. I find it interesting that, that what happens is this, is that, that Judas, Judas knows the price of what Mary has done. He knows the price. 
300 denarii is the price. What he doesn't understand is the value. Do you understand what Judas is? He's got the numbers all there. But boy, his heart is far from that. He doesn't understand the value of the worship. He knows the price of it. Oh, check this off, check this off. Check. Oh my goodness, that was 300 denarii worth of wages you just poured out upon Jesus at this moment. And it could have been given to the poor. I know the price. He doesn't understand the value. Jesus, do you think he was worried about the, the, the price? No. Do you think he understands the value? See, that's what he's concerned about, the value, the value of, of is Jesus worth it? Is, is, is any of it a waste? And Jesus understands there's nothing of it's a waste. This is so incredible to see what it is that, that what Mary is doing and what Judas is doing. Mary worships. Mary pours out. And, and, and I think it's just so important that others can appreciate her worship. But the one person who cannot appreciate her worship, who cannot appreciate the, this whole area of, of this, this, this true worship, is Judas. It brings out hostility. Judas can't enter in and appreciate what she's done. Everyone else in the house can, but, but she can't. He can't. And so true worship brings out hostility to those who do not truly love him. And amazingly, these are the very first words of Judas in John's gospel. That's amazing to me. The very first words that we ever say, he says, is he says, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? I love Matthew and Mark. They say, why was it wasted? What a waste. What happens is this. When someone who does not know the Lord is fixated on someone else who's worshiping the Lord in abandon, they don't understand it. They don't get it. Now, when someone who does know the Lord sees someone who's worshiping and abandoned, they get what? Oh, man, I want to get there. I just, 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 just get my eyes right, get my heart right, Lord. Just, just shake off the things of the day. I want to enter into that place of worship. But not Judas. But amazingly, what Judas does is he seeks to conceal his sin under the guise of benevolence. Oh, I just want to help the poor. We should be helping the poor. And so he's here. He portrays one thing, but he's really something else. Remember, here's Judas coming to the Mount of, to the Mount of Olives. And what does he do? Master. And he betrays him with a kiss. Absolutely amazing. But, but he does this not because he loves Jesus, but because he says, listen, it's the one that I kissed. He's the one. Because you might not know who it is. He doesn't stand out. He doesn't glow. He doesn't resonate. He's just a normal man. And so he has no form of coming with anyone. But I'll show you who he is and I'll, I'll betray him with a kiss. And so he's just going to identify Jesus to the soldiers so that he could be arrested and betrayed. But I love what Jesus does. Jesus watches over Mary. Jesus protects Mary. Look at verse 9 again, or verse 7. But Jesus said, let her alone. She's kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always, you do not have always. And I think it's important to recognize that Jesus is saying, hey, you know what, what she's doing, she's doing for my burial. I'm about to die. I'm going to die. And what she's doing is this that she won't be able to do it at my burial. She's taking the time now to worship now because she might not be able to worship later. And this is why it's so important. Honor Jesus while you still have the opportunity. When you can do something for the Lord, do it. We don't, we don't know when, when all of a sudden the things that we used to do, we can no longer do. One of the things that is... is tough in my position is when people start getting older and I talk to the saints that are serving and serving in so many ways and all of a sudden they find themselves less mobile. They find themselves not being able to do the things they used to do. 
And then they say, you know what? I, I wish I would have done more while I had the opportunity. Now I can't do it. Now I wish I could. And it's like, well, you know, just understand, these are the things. You, you need to honor God with the time that you have when he calls you to honor him. Just listen to his voice. But I love what Jesus does. He protects her. And he simply says, let her alone. So understand that Mary has learned and she's believed a lot sitting at the feet of Jesus. She has learned so much when, when all of a sudden all these other disciples, they really didn't have much of a clue with what was going on. And so I, I want to just share with you um, one passage here. See if I can find it. Yeah, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, I want to read verses 31 and verse 32. It says this, For he, that is Jesus, Mark 9, 31, taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he's killed, he will rise the third day. And then it says this about the disciples. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. He has told them, I'm going to die. They didn't get it. You know what I believe? I believe that Mary, sitting at the feet, sitting at the feet, sitting at the feet, sitting at the feet, she got it. She knows you're going to die. I, I know you are the Passover lamb. I know you are the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I know that these things are true. And so as she goes through that, we recognize something about her that's far different than, than the others. There's another passage that I want to share with you in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. I want to start reading in verse 27, and I want to read down to verse 33. You guys know the passage, but in Mark 8, 27, Jesus and the disciples went to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked the disciples among them, who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Then he said to them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to them, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many things, verse 31. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he spoke openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Do you understand? He says, I'm going to die. Peter says, come here, Lord. Come here, Jesus. Let me help you out. No. No, you, that's not going to happen to you. And he says, no, you, you get behind me. You don't understand the things of God. But I do believe that here, Mary understands the things of God. Mary understands what's going on. There's this beautiful passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And I, I want to read to you just one portion of it. In verse 21, the disciples on the road to Emmaus had made this statement, but verse 21 of Luke 24 we were hoping that he was that it was he who was going to redeem Israel indeed besides all this today is the third day since these things happened he's dead they 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 weren't expecting that understand mary was expecting it Mary was declaring it. Mary was prophesying. Mary was, was identifying to say, I am going to honor you in the death while you're still alive. I'm going to honor you in your work while you're still alive. It's an amazing thing to see how she caught these things. She understood what these things were. And so, so amazing that Jesus just let her alone. She's done this for the day of my burial. She understands what you guys still don't get. And she's worshiping me and doing this. Then he says, the poor you have with me always, you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now he's not saying don't minister to the poor. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, honor me while you have the time. 
The poor, they're going to be here tomorrow and the next day. You always have that ability to minister to the poor. You have very little opportunity now to minister to me before I go to my Father in heaven. It says take, take advantage of the time that you have. And so as we're looking to this, I just think it's so important that, that honor Jesus with the time that you have. Honor him in your home. Honor him with your helping. Honor him with your heart. Honor him in every way that, that he leads you to through his spirit. This is so important. And then it says this, verse 9, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only. And this is kind of cool. It wasn't just about Jesus, 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 but all of a sudden now it's, it's you know what, it's those that Jesus has ministered to. See, this is what we're going to celebrate next Wednesday at Testimony Night. We're going to come here and we are going to celebrate Jesus, but we're also going to do what? We're going to celebrate those that Jesus has ministered to, that Jesus has been in their life, that Jesus has touched. And so they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And then in verse 10 and 11, but the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Talk about extremes. Do you understand the extremes that are going on here? Martha's serving, Lazarus is sitting, Mary's worshiping with oil, Judas is bitter. People are coming to see Lazarus, and then we see the other extreme is this, that we see that the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus, not enough to kill Jesus, we got to take out this Lazarus guy too. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. They the testimony that was spoken through the one became evident. And so you take a look and you say, wow, you know, here's, here's this guy, Simon, who used to be a leper, and now he's no more a leper. And then you go, yeah, and then you got Lazarus, who used to be dead. You thought the leper stunk? Check out being in the grave for four days. How's that? And Jesus brings him back to life. And so because of account of him, because of Lazarus, and so what they're wanting to do is this, anything that is light, anything that is beautiful, anything that is this form that points to Jesus, those who do not have a love for Jesus, those who are not in the light, those who are in the darkness, what they want to do is it brings out hostility in them. They can't handle the worship of the light. They can't handle the worship in the light. And so we see that, that Judas tries to snuff out the work of Mary. And then we see here the chief priests want to snuff out Lazarus. Anything that is light that brings worship to Jesus Christ, that brings the focus to Jesus Christ, the enemy wants to destroy that which is why we've been asking you what for weeks pray for those people who are giving their testimony because there's going to be warfare the enemy's going to want to stop that he doesn't want the light to come to the glory of how God touches lives and heals and restores and ministers and loves even when they're yet sinners Christ is ministering to them and loving them and they witness that they experience that Absolutely an incredible thing that we begin to see. What a work of God. What a work of God. So may we be these people and ask yourself this question. Is Jesus worth it or is it a waste? What can you give to Jesus honestly, sincerely, that you would say, wow, that was a waste? Anything that you give openly with a heart of worship, you can't give enough time in devotion and prayer and witnessing. You just can't. Not when he leads you into that. You won't look back and say, man, what a waste. I wish I would have just watched more TV. You know, you, you don't. You don't. It's about, God, if you know this was you and your kingdom, we only have a certain amount of time. And I think it's so important. Honor him 
while you still have the opportunity. And honor him with everything that, that he leads because there's nothing that you can give to him in the pureness of worship that would ever be a waste. Amen? Amen. Father, we are so grateful for this word, so grateful for your heart. Only you would reveal so many amazing truths here. So we're asking, Lord, that you would guide us, lead us. We want to right now, Lord, as we're, we're here praying in the, the singularity of your spirit to make this statement, Father, we want to open our homes to you. We want to open our homes and, and we want to honor you with everything that's in it. We want to see you glorified and exalted. And then, Father, we want to just double check and make sure that, that Lord, when you're calling us to any kind of service, it would not be those who complain. Why isn't someone else coming alongside? Why am I doing this myself? Why? Why is it only me? Poor me, poor me. I'm the one who's doing all the work. And yet, God, it's worship. I love how Mary Martha gets it. I love how she gets it. No more complaining. She just serves in worship. So may we have that same heart. And to recognize, Lord, that there's there's you are so worth everything. If we can give you more, we give you more. But only, only the things you call, only the things you supply. But you're worth it. You have been and will always be worth anything, anything that we can do to honor you for who you are and what you've done. That we could honor you for your death, the payment of our sins, the salvation of our souls. We give you glory, honor, and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.